Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatting with Asta. Uh, this series seeks to look at all the different people in my life and some people I know and some people I don't know that well yet. Um, I look at them as both inspirational and informational resources. And if you're enjoying this series, don't forget to thumbs up, like, comment, and subscribe if you can. Also, I'd appreciate it if you share the video. And uh, you know, feel free to browse through the whole playlist if this is your first video. Today on my show, I have Graham Resnick. He is a writer, director, uh, just you know, album DJ, music aficionado, and I'm so excited to have him on today. Welcome to the show, Graham. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, and you've got your uh, your sleek sound system ready to go. <laughs> Yep, uh, this is my uh, cave where I've been for three months. Uh, yeah, spend all my time here. It's all set up, ready to go. You getting your, you, you getting uh, rations every now and then? Some gallons of water, maybe? Every once in a while, but uh, for the most part, no. Just stuck in here, uh, finding crumbs before the ants do. Well, that I, you know, at least you've seen Chipper, so that that's good. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I was introduced to your work. Um, just because of your association with Glass Eye Picks, and uh, kind of like in a reverse order, um, one of your works that um, I really gravitated towards was Dead Wax. And uh, if anybody's watching and they're interested in seeing it, it's on Shudder. Um, it's a very cool series. Each episode is like about in that 10 minute living space. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a really fun project. How, how did that come to be? Well, thank you. Um... Dead Wax was something that was floating around in my head as a, a kernel of an idea, but not a, uh, a fully fleshed out story. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm big into music and collect records and, and make music and stuff. So um, I had a, through, through Sam Zimmerman, um, who uh, is at Shudder and is one of the curators of Shudder, um, I was asked to come in and, and pitch some material uh, for a short form series. Um, and, uh, when I went in, I met, uh, one of the executives there on Shiflet, and it was one of those meetings that I, I didn't really know what to pitch exactly. I had a couple ideas, but, um, I wasn't expecting much of it. So I just kind of went in and was very loose and, and hit it off with him. And, and we chatted and we, turns out we had a lot of similar interests in music and, um, similar movies that we liked. And, and I realized, oh my gosh, this, this guy would probably like this idea I have. And so I just kind of spun the idea out in the room um, as sort of a, a ninth gate meets uh, cigarette burns um, by way of high fidelity uh, yeah. and in the mouth of madness. And uh, it, from that point on, it felt like we were just going to make it. And that's kind of what happened. It, it took a while. It took about a year and a half. <laughs> um, uh, I pitched it uh, a week before the 2016 election. So um, I spent a good two months uh, depressed and uh, trying to get back to the keyboard and actually write a real pitch but um it eventually came out and uh and then we uh yeah we shot it in 2000 2018 so it took a while uh, it's a it's a very uh, fun examination of just like vinyl culture but also like the lore that you spin out of it do you want to tell the audience like a little bit about what um what dead wax means sure yeah, yeah the um the title comes from the center of a record so when you look at the side of a record you have the grooves and you've got a label in the middle but between where the grooves end and the label begins there's a, a 
section of the vinyl that is not really usable because the needle can't really read music in that section very well. Um, have a weird deja vu. I'm literally almost quoting lines from the character in the show that it uh, explains this. Uh, and it's all interrelated. It's just weird. It's just weird to me. It's weird to me to quote stuff from my own thing, even unintentionally. It's just weird, but it's what I would say. Um, so there's this space in the middle of the vinyls called the dead wax um, or the run out groove. And uh, on its own, it's not very important, but um, over the years, people, uh, mastering engineers would write, uh, well, you would see um, serial numbers, but you would also see like pressing plant information. So you could kind of track down where a record came from, where it was pressed, who mastered it. But then you would also see like little secret messages. And yeah. so it kind of had a, has its own like, not following, but just people who collect records, you know, are always checking the dead wax and checking to see if there's anything there to see, you know, who mastered it, if they're looking for a certain pressing or where it came from or... Yeah. Um, or things like that. So it's it's very obsessive. And so record collecting, which is already very obsessive, can kind of drill down to this like hyper obsessive thing. And it's a cool name. So it worked for a horror show about vinyl. Yeah, it, it's, it is really fascinating. And I I have only a few records. My, my prized record is a Lily Tomlin um, a comedy album. Oh, nice. That gives you a little sense of like my, my taste. I'm a big Nina Simone fan. I've been... Mm -hmm making sure to get Clay all the classics every anniversary. So he just introduced him, like the Velvet Underground, like just that kind of thing. And uh, oh, yeah. what, have, what, have you been, uh, what have you been listening to lately? Like what kind of records are you uh, spinning? Well, I am uh, quarantining with a uh, three-year-old, going on four-year-old. Um, so my vinyl time is uh, very small <laughs> these days. Uh, my, my writing process used to be, and hopefully will be again, um, wow, I'm just like spinning out on, this is quarantine Swiss cheese brain uh, in full action. To, to keep people to, Yeah, to, to, to answer your question, I'm gonna go big and then come back. Um, I generally have a very hard time writing, um, even though it's one of my primary jobs. Um, I'll sit down and it's just very hard to stare at a blank page. Even if I have a concrete idea of what I want to do, it's, it's an intention thing. Yeah. But I, a long time ago, I, I started getting in a routine that um, has really helped me, which is that I make a, a pact with myself that if I put on a record, a side of a record is 15 to 20 minutes. I have to stay in front of the keyboard and I can't look away for the side of the record. So I listen to the music, it gets me into the headspace and I start writing. And then if I'm drifting, I get up, I flip the record, I put on a new record, whatever. But it's like a routine and a ritual that helps me really like kind of find that place I need to get to. Um, and I know I'm having a really good writing day if the needle gets to the end of the record and is just spinning there silently for like an hour. And then an hour will go by and I'll go, oh my gosh, I didn't even get up and change the record. Um, so like usually listening to records is a daily habit for me that I do all day long while I'm writing. Uh, lately, I uh, basically have listened to like, Two records a week. I listened to two records earlier today. Like that, that I can. Uh, oh, yeah. I listened to um, partially because my daughter uh, just wants me to put on like kids' music and stuff. Um, yeah. And there are certain things she really likes, but uh, I can. I got her into uh, George Harrison's uh, Cloud Nine. Uh, she really loves. I got my mind set on you. Yes. The cover that I did. Uh, she asks for it constantly, a hundred times a day. Um, I'm still not tired of it though, so that's good. Um, but today we listened to. Um, an album called uh, Bellberry Circle um, Computer Journeys, which is, or, oh, 
shoot outward journeys i forget the title of it now offhand it's great it's on ghost box kind of synth spacey music and um cowboy junkies trinity sessions which is famous for the cover of sweet jane that they do in natural Born killers which is just one of the most beautiful covers um speaking of velvet underground it's just an incredible uh, piece of music that's that's funny when you uh, talk about your your kid listening to music um when i was little just flashed in my memory my parents are sending me a lot of uh, movies right now because they're kind of putting together the different sections of our lives because i traveled a lot growing up so I lived in Holland and Spain and, and parts of Texas. And anyway, oh, wow. yeah, uh, there was this thing that when I was little, I couldn't walk necessarily right away. But anytime the mamas and the papas came on, hmm. I would like grab with all my might onto something and just start like dancing. Wow. To the point of embarrassment, like if they were Best <laughs> Buy or Circuit City, like I would grab on and I would just be like, Nice. It was like anything. Mamas and the papas. It was like, and then when I was in the womb, my mom and my dad used to like play with the headphones on, like um, everything from Vivaldi to Aerosmith. I mean, just like everything. So like, and I talked about this with Steve, um, but like, I I just can't. It's hard for me to function without sound. Like, it's just yeah. like I I need. It's like a like a tick. If I don't have like some sort of ambiance behind me at all times, like I- I'm kind of, I start to like, you know, yeah. freak out a little bit. <laughs> I, I go through phases of that depending on what I'm doing during the day. If I'm working in audio, like if I'm yeah. doing sound design for something, um, I need a break from it because it's yeah. it's like fatigue. But um, my break from it is still another kind of audio. I typically then veer towards like heavy podcast listening, just like constantly have my phone on in my pocket just playing podcasts and um just always having a voice there i also like working from home i've been self-quarantining for several years now (laughs) Uh, uh, as a person who works from home primarily um so it's like the only companionship i get or like the constant hearing human voices all day long just like while i get up and like go to the kitchen and you know make a sandwich or whatever just having a podcast going um so it's like another kind of audio, just kind of filling in the, the silence. Yeah, I, I really, I, I, I crave it. It's bizarre. Maybe that's why I'm doing this show. I just, I, like, I, le- I need the variety and I need certain sounds all the time. And um, it's like a, t- it's a weird tick. And, you know, I'm, I know that my mom has been dealing with some vertigo issues hmm. like in this point in her life. And that's obviously always related to the ears. So my yeah. fear now is that I'm just going to be like having vertigo at some point because I'm just... <laughs> Constantly, you know, but you do, a lot of, um, you do a lot of sound design, you said, and mm-hmm. uh, you worked on the Until Dawn series, the video game. Do you want to talk about yes. that experience? Video games? Yeah. Um, so that came about through Fessenden, uh, Larry Fessenden, who um, asked me to help him write a like spec uh, section of the script. Uh, this is like 2011 now. It was a long time ago. Um, we had worked together uh, at Glass Eye Picks through Ty West, who I grew up with. And um, so Ty and I went to school in, uh, at a, in New York together. I was at NYU, he was at uh, SVA. And um, while Ty was at SVA, he met Larry, um, who had come in via Kelly Reichardt uh, to yeah. have a guest in the class. And so Ty interned for Larry. And we both just started working with Larry. And um, Larry financed Ty's first film in, uh, in 2000. 
four, I want to say, uh, which was The Roost, came out in 2005. Um, and then I did my first film, I Can See You, with Larry in 2006, seven, came out in 2009. Um, and then we just got to know each other really well and, and, and had worked on a couple scripts together. So he asked me to, to write this spec script with him for, uh, for Supermassive Games for Until Dawn, what became Until Dawn. Um, partially because Larry just didn't uh, know video games. He, he kind of missed that movement um, uh, because he's a little bit older and he, he uh, was in New York and making movies at the time that video games became prevalent. But he's always been really interested in all forms of kind of like new media and yeah. using technology to, to push, um, push the envelope with storytelling. And, and um, so he was fascinated by it. And um, we worked on two versions of Until Dawn. We worked on... Um, PS3 version that uh, got shelved in favor of kind of porting it to a PS4 version mid-process. So we had written the whole script for that and shot most of it, and then we rewrote it for uh, PS4. Um, so we worked on it for a long time. Uh, my favorite fact uh, about myself and the thing that if I have a resume, it will just have one thing on it, and it will just be that uh, we got a Guinness World Record for the longest screenplay for an adventure game, because that's a World record to have um because basically we made up a very high number of script pages because there was no way to actually tell so we have a guinness world record so that's (laughs) um yeah until done it's a it's it's basically a a slasher teen slasher horror movie that's a game so you get to to be the characters in the world of a, a slasher film and make the mistakes they make and and push uh push the stereotypes either lean into them or lean out of them, depending on how you want to play it, which I think, at least to me, is what made the game feel so fresh when it when it came out in 2015. Yeah, um, and uh, going back with your relationship with Larry and you worked on um, your film, I Can See You. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recently saw it and I was thinking about something you said a little while back, that you were inspired by Haosu. Oh yeah. And um, that is one of my, I used to work at this bar, Rest in Peace, Videology Bar and Cinema, and they used to mm-hmm. show all sorts of things. And my favorite shifts to work were the shifts when we would screen either the Lizzie McGuire movie, because people tip so well, Selena, but then Haosu would like oh, yeah. buy. And Haosu, people order so much to drink. It's so like, such a fun audience. It's such a fun film and it's such a crowd film and it's so beautifully absurd um how how did you connect that when you were working on because because i I saw that you had mentioned it and i don't know that'd be a good way to talk about it um i'm trying to remember what the context would have been that i would have mentioned it in but it it did it was something that was very prevalent in my mind when i was making i can see you or really when i was in post and i can see you i think was when i first saw it um I love experimental film and I love, um, you know, Kenneth Anger and Stan Brakhage and, and people who kind of push the, the limits of what you can do with moving image and sound as a medium um, that aren't necessarily trying to express a story as much as they're trying to express an idea. But I also love like junk TV. I, I don't know a better way to say it. Actually, that's, a very bad way to say it. 
that is, I'm taking that back, not drunk TV. I like very soapy TV. Um, I watch a lot of the, the CW superhero shows, which are so much fun. They're just great. Yeah. Friends of mine, we get together, well, pre, pre this, we'd get together every week and we'd watch Flash and Arrow. And so I have this weird thing in my brain where I'm always trying to balance complete crowd-pleasing popcorn, fun, soapy, uh, heightened entertainment with absurd yeah mind-boggling absurd sheer existential uh uh what is the word for it um sublime um you know cosmic terror and there is a way to do that and i think people like lynch do that really well people like nicholas rogue do that really well and in a movie like hausu they do he he does that really well um i'm going to mispronounce his name but the director of uh uh hausu just passed away recently r.i.p um but he um in that movie what he did was he keeps you entertained and and like engaged on a visceral emotional and um unconscious level every second like every second of the movie you're like oh my god what's gonna happen now this is happening oh my god what's gonna happen now this is happening but it never feels like you're being manipulated in a in a way that feels like you're being betrayed like because people can can do that and just keep things completely absurd. But I think with someone like, uh, or, or in a movie like Hausu or something like a Lynch film, there's also like a subconscious through line where you're constantly going, oh my God, this is happening now. But in the back of your brain, you're going, of course this is happening now. Exactly. This makes sense somehow. And I don't know why, but it does, which is the way dreams work. Yeah. Dreams constantly make you go, whoa, this, oh, when I'm here, oh, okay but it all somehow makes sense in the back of your brain. Um, so to me, that that's what I wanted to accomplish in a movie like I Can See You was something that was a, a ride from beginning to end. And you never went too long without feeling like you were being destabilized in a incredibly engaging and entertaining way uh, as much as that's possible. And I think that that's, that's kind of what I want to do in movies in general on a varying degree of spectrum of experimental to um, more commercial yeah. i can see it being on the more experimental end of that dead wax being on the more commercial end of that yeah um and uh what a kick i got out of seeing larry in that wig and a <laughs> suit and a suit yeah. oh my yeah, god with the cap in his teeth yeah 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 i have never seen him in a suit i just realized that when i watched it i was like i've never seen him look dapper ever <laughs> Like his own version of Dapper for sure, but it was like it was that was the that was the most absurd of the film. It was a, a five dollar wig and a six dollar suit from Goodwill, and barely fit him, but he uh, he did a great job <laughs> carrying it. Do <laughs> great job. Um, yeah, that was uh, he always gets cast as like the bum or the scary guy because he yeah. can lean into that, you know. But but Larry, you know, Larry grew up. Uh, he went to uh, uh, Andover, and um, you know, he he grew up in in a certain type of uh, milieu that. Uh, yeah. It's not how we associate what we associate with Larry, but he knows how to turn that on if yeah. he needs to, and uh, yeah. it's, it's one of his superpowers, I think. Yeah, he's a he's um he's he's a wonderful person that understands also like just bringing people together, seeing where to push different potential, and uh, definitely guide people and mentor them along the way. And yes, um, I was also wondering. This is going to seem like I just thought I'd throw this absurd question out there because I don't have a gaming system. But um, lively on the family chat. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have a gaming system, but you are 
part of this phenomenon that I have not asked any of my guests about. Can you talk to me about Animal Crossing? Just <laughs> because I don't understand it, but people seem to be recreating film scenes and it's uh, it, it's it really is fascinating to me in that there's so little there, but it's captivated so many people, yeah. and I think that Animal Crossing's always been a popular franchise by Nintendo, but in a very kind of niche way. Yeah. But I think because it came out literally like a week into a worldwide lockdown or quarantine, it just kind of transplanted, everyone's lives just transplanted into it. And I can tell you why I've gotten really into it. And you, you might be referring to the weird thing that I did a few weeks ago, which was uh, recreate a scene from every episode of Dead Wax in Animal Crossing, which you can see on my Twitter if uh, anyone's interested. Um, it just, again, that was like something for me to do. It was like a little project to have. Um, but I, I, it there's like very little you can do every day in it. You can go around and you can um, pick shells up off the beach. You can, you know, uh, go to the store and buy one, like one of three new items. You can buy turnips once a week and then sell them on the stock market which is very silly, but like, it's just like a thing. And then you check the prices every day. So I have this like checklist of things to do with my three-year-old. Um, so we go and we do them all. And it's like a, a structure to our structure, currently structureless yeah. lives. I mean, I, I, I've heard you talk uh, on another uh, interview about having structure and, and weirdly Animal Crossing has been <laughs> the closest thing we've had to a structure uh, in our, our weird lockdown life. So I think that that's part of it. It's it's fascinating. Um, another person I know, um, I don't know if you know him, uh, Ben David Grabinski. He's yep. he's been like posting all these like movie related Animal Crossing uh, screenshots, and it's just fascinating to me because I can't remember the last time. The la I mean, actually, I can. Uh, when I used to be really into Pokemon, like mm -hmm. Pokemon, like Stadium came out, and like people could share their you know trade and stuff, and I had to go down the, the street to this kid whose dad did uh, work in Japan, and I would spend, I would literally spend 10 bucks cash to get one card from him that was like holographic yep. and stuff. That's like the closest I can get to understanding this, but I don't have a gaming system. But I feel like it's getting to the point where I need to update my Blu ray player, so I might as well look into like, you know, a PlayStation. And yeah, I mean, it's uh I, I really have been enjoying the the Nintendo Switch right now just because it's one because I have a, a young kid but um I I I've always had an interesting I don't know I, I I'm almost 40 and I grew up with computers and I grew up with with games as the games came out you know like I feel like people right around 40 right now Atari was coming out when we were very little NES was coming out when we were you know 8 9 10 and Super Nintendo, like we we matured with the systems, so it's ingrained in us and everybody younger than us, um, and not so much for people older than us. So we were always told it's a waste of our time, and we shouldn't be doing that. And there was a certain point where, when I went to college, I, actually even in high school, because I was really big into computer games more than even console games, really big into adventure games on the computer, which are a little more narrative yeah. and less arcadey. 
uh, and then I would play Doom and things like that and, and you know, build like Doom levels and build stuff in Doom. Um, but when I wanted to go to film school and I went to film school, I put games aside for years, for almost 10 years, um, because I felt like, oh, this is distracting me from the work I really want to do. And then when I started working in games, it was like suddenly permission. And I realized so much of what I want out of movies comes from being having our brains change by having games be a part of our lives. We have a different, people who grew up playing games have a different relationship to the media that they're engaging with than people who didn't. I genuinely believe this. There's a sense of interaction, even if it's not true interaction, there's a sense of like agency and ownership on the part of the viewer, the player, or expectation of that. that I think needs to be respected. And I think uh, respected on the part of the um, the creators. Uh, and I think games are really valuable. I think it's, especially right now that everyone's home, I think just watching movies is great, but also if you can play games too, I think games are, you know, I think it it's not a bad thing to to engage with storytelling in that way, or even just engage with, um, with something that's completely arcade-like, but exercises your brain in a particular way as long as you're balancing it with other things you can't only do that but uh yeah. well it's it's in, it's engagement right so like i feel like a lot of people's brains have been turning into mush disassociating because of things like social media which force them right. to just absorb 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 feel 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 self-hate and sometimes the self-hate or fear of something can guide consumerism and so consumerism becomes like this this happy beast you know and instead, I think when you, when you engage in film, when you engage in uh, sharing film recommendations or engaging in games or having conversation, it actually like wakes up your brain and it forces you to like re-engage and like kind of unplug from that kind of, this is my rant on consumerism, but it's unplugged from, from the man. And I feel like it's, it's so, like, you know, when you were talking about David Lynch, uh, I got for, um, I got this uh, compilation of the original series and the return. And uh, we started, I had already seen the original series, but play, we like did like the binge and then Mm -hmm. he made cherry pie and we started watching the return and we're like halfway through the return. But watching the show, you're right to say that your subconscious kind of unlocks little things that your mind, when you write it down, you're like, this scene makes no sense, but it, it, it does. And it's an example of how surreal and absurd art and engagement in games can kind of wake your brain up. Absolutely. From- I, act, I actually really think that uh, when I, I remember watching Twin Peaks The Return as it was coming out and feeling like it was the closest thing to a game narrative in a linear narrative than I had seen in a while, it, it, yeah. it engaged my brain on a way that felt like I was interacting with it which was just like so rewarding to me. Um, it's not for everybody, but it, it was, you know, perfect for me. Uh, and that was, yeah. Waiting for that to come out every week was very, very nice. I miss that. It's, so, it's yeah, it's such, a, it's such a, a present to see something that's like unadulterated, like made in the vein of the creator. And I, yeah. I, I love David Lynch so much. And I, I like to imagine that subconsciously he's watching my show and, you know, <laughs> he might then, be. you know, he might be actually, this show is sponsored by David Lynch. After he checks the weather every day, he, <laughs> he's on YouTube. He's yeah. on YouTube. So, I mean, come on, it's where it's at. Um, 
I wanted to ask you the question I ask all my guests, mm -hmm. uh, which is, uh, what kind of message would you like to uh, send out to the universe, to the audio waves? I've been thinking about this uh, since you you emailed me, um, and uh, I was hoping to have a good answer by now, but my only answer is kind of a non-answer, which is just that I don't feel like I or we owe the universe anything. I feel like the universe owes us something. <laughs> so uh, if anything, um, I think the universe should realize that uh, we can take care of ourselves. And um, if I've seen anything this past week or two, it's that people are people are giving me hope right now for a lot of things and seeing people come out in the way they've been coming out in support of uh, Black Lives Matter and um, against police brutality and, and the system that desperately needs changing. Yeah. Uh, that's us, we're doing that. It's not a higher power, it's not, um, it's not the universe. Um, it's nice that the universe is there, but uh, I think it's people that, that uh, I'm really, really proud of right now, so. Yeah. That's all I've got to say, I guess. That's, that's a good way to look at it. I, I always just think that there is, there are times like these that feel really pivotal, um, where there's an energy in the air and people are, are finally, because you can, you can say it's the pandemic, you can say whatever, but I think that I, I'm a huge believer in astrology and there are mm -hmm. certain alignments going on right now that haven't happened since uh, the, the American Revolution, Rome wow. falling, um, the civil rights movement. Um, there are certain things going on that force us to reflect inwards. So like, this is, you know, this is not a time to, to want anything, right? It's a time to like, see that what you have is there all along. And so yeah. people are realizing that. And it, it gives me hope because I, I've just been, you know, I'm in that millennial generation We've been getting a lot of shit, but we, we've been through a lot. And a lot of it has been where we have forced ourselves to separate from society. We've forced ourselves to escape the reality because things are so horrible. So I, I agree yeah. with you. I think that people are hope right now and that the universe, you know, we can do it. We got it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> we got this, hopefully. Yeah. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, uh, Give your uh, little one uh, good energy on my behalf and uh, continue being uh, the world's DJ as I see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It was great to uh, chat with you and get to know you uh, in this way. Of course. We can take care of ourselves. <laughs>